This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Coleman. Joining me right now is Max Cohen. This is our post-match show of Fulham's 1-1 draw with Sheffield United. We have a lot to talk about in regards to this match. It was encouraging, and I'll go through everything with Max. But before I do that, before we get into that match, Max and I were talking about the big news for today we want to talk about right now. So I'm going to bring this up. And, Max, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the announcement of Fulham's squad for this season. There were some very interesting names left off, and one interesting name that was included and uh, it's encouraging. What are your thoughts about the list? First of all, <clears throat> the two big players I think people care the most about would be Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson uh, being left out of the squad. And, you know, we have to recognize they've been amazing servants to the club. You know, been with us since the 2015-2016 season. A long time ago, they've been with the club. Yeah. A lot of ups and downs. Two promotion seasons uh, for both of them and also the relegation season. But it's a harsh world of football, and I think it's the right call, unfortunately. They just weren't going to play this season. Right. It's a bit disappointing we weren't able to get them loans or moves away to other clubs in the lower leagues because they deserve to play. It's not going to be nice to play the under-23s for the entire right. – until January at least. But they've been so huge for this team. I mean, McDonald was a de facto captain in that promotion season. Yep. Yeah, Johansson is a bit, was a revelation midfield when we signed him and he's just not Premier League quality, but he's such a key player for us. Um, and then the other one, of course, Jean-Michel Seri wasn't even in the squad. Don't have a problem with that either. You know, he's not going to, he's not in Scott Parker's plans. Wasn't his plans when the Premier League back in, you know, 20, 2018, 19, nothing's changed this time around. And if a team didn't meet our asking price for him, we know obligation to sell. So I can't really argue with that one. And then Josh Anima is the fourth player left out, the final player. Right. And we're hearing, as you mentioned, you know, reported he has an injury. 
and right. keeps him out for a couple months. So that would make sense. You know, you, you, want, you don't have a player taking up space who's injured, but hoping he can get fit and challenge for us in the second half of the season. But the common thread, Ross, is they're all four central midfielders. That's and right. that's a place we bought very heavily this summer, bringing in Harrison Reed, bringing in Lamina, bringing in Loftus-Cheek. So it's a position we obviously knew we had to strengthen in. We got the new players in, the new blood. And right. unfortunately, it means players have to be left out. But on the grand scheme of things, I think all the all four of those decisions are the right call. I agree. And uh, listen, it certainly makes sense with Anima if he's injured. Because, again, uh, you don't want him taking up a spot, right, Max? So that makes sense. Let him get all healed up and then uh, get back into the squad when he has the ability to. And then, again, you're going to be figuring that out next year. We're talking about next calendar year. So that makes sense. The Surrey one, again, that that was a little surprising, but again, maybe it isn't. And then uh, I just feel bad about McDonald and uh, and again, Stefan Johansson. It's just uh, it's just sad. But, you know, it's it's expected, like you said. It's expected. But I want to mention this, and I want to give my friend Chris Davidson a lot of credit because he was messaging me this, that I think this is something that we need to talk about. The fact that Joachim Anderson is included tells me, Max, that this can't be that long-term or why else would he be included? This is actually a little good news. I, I don't know if if uh, fans are picking up on this, but to me, this is big news here because we don't have a timetable. But the fact that he's included tells me that the club is, has to be, again, I'm, I'm assuming, and maybe you shouldn't assume, that he has to be within their plans in this calendar year, correct? Which is really good news. You're right because in the Anima situation, we heard you know three months he might be out for. Right. You know at least for sure Anderson will be out for less than that. And you know he posted this week on his Instagram story a picture of himself in a protective boot. So we know <laughs> that's that's not great. But no. right, there's a silver lining to everything here, which means hopefully he'll play some role. Probably I'd guess four to six weeks. That's just a guess, but yeah, obviously it's not going. He's not going to be back next week, and he's not going to be back you know in the new year. But it'll be sometime in between then. Which, on the, I mean, we have to take a step back and say this is a guy who I think everyone had the highest hopes for in right. our center back signings. And to have him going down injured for a month or more, you know, it's like first week of training is such a setback. But sure. at least there's one shred of hope, which is he'll play some role, hopefully, before 2021. Right. And what's interesting also, and I mentioned this on a prior show, Max, because we're talking about Anderson, but we also have to talk about Terrence Congoa. And if you watch this video, he basically said that he was going to be rehabbing for a couple of weeks and then hopefully get back into training. So he's included too. So that's a good thing as well. I expected that. But I have a feeling, Max, that we're going to see Congolo before we see Anderson. Mm. Yeah, might not be the worst prediction. I think that, that might be fair. <laughs> but again, I think we're, we're going to talk about this later, but Adarabayo on his debut, I thought was very assured. Yep. And that gave us a lot of confidence because in the preview show, all of us, including Steve, essentially said he might not play. It's probably too soon for him. Right. He's doing this all wrong with a really nice debut performance. And maybe his Premier League quality based on what we saw, which would be a great boost. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I think many were just assuming, well, he can't possibly be ready, right, Max? He's stepping up from Blackburn to the Premier League. That's a huge jump. But I think... You also have to factor in his pedigree. He's coming from Manchester City. So I think that's a cut above. I I think we're, we were losing sight of where he came from. 
and the fact of the reaction from Man City fans, that also tells you something. They had huge hopes for him. So this might turn on, and again, it's just one match, okay? We have to see, you know, how he's going to turn out. But so far, so good with with, uh, with Adarabayo. You know, again, I'm just going to call him Tosin. I think it's easier, right? To just call him yeah, Tosin. Yeah, Adarabayo, that's not different. We've been saying it perfectly. You <laughs> <laughs> can say Mitrovic. Right, right, right. All good, all good there, my friend. All right. All right, let's, let's get into – oh, actually, I want to share this before we get into – because here's some comments from Robin Pendrell. Feel sorry for Steph, Joe, and K-Mac. At least they wore the shirt. And then he follows this up. Won't miss Sari at all. You know, I, I again, I had such high hopes for John Michael Sari, but that also shows how it just didn't work out for him, Max. But but your thoughts on what Robin shared there? 100% with him uh, on Sari. We won't miss him. That's just a fact. He never showed his worth with us for whatever reason. And we even saw it, you know, we gave him a chance in the cup match against Brentford. Right. You know, surely a player wants to prove his worth, say, I'm going to fight for my place at Fulham, put in a good performance against championship opposition. And he was awful. So yep, yep. he could have no complaints about that. And I agree about Johansson and McDonald. They wore the shirt with pride and they were players who you knew when they stepped on the pitch would give everything. And not just give everything in terms of, you know, their passion, but they were quality players. You know, yep. they gave us so many great moments in that, not just the 2017 18 season. But the season before that, when we lost to Reading in the playoffs, these were guys who came to Fulham during a low point. You know, when Yurkanovich first came in, they joined a club that, on the face of it, were championship strugglers and turned us into one of the best teams in the league for two years in a row. So give them a mass amount of credit to why we're here today. Because without players like Johansson um, and K-Mac, I think we're still a mid mid-table championship team. So to, we can't really understate their importance to us. They were key during some really formational years. Uh, but I, I don't really feel sorry for them because even if they were in the squad, they wouldn't play. You know, we're out of the league That's cup, the pickup doesn't start. They just wouldn't. I mean, you can't put. I mean, you know, McDonald didn't even play in the championship for us last season at all. We expect them to play in the Premier League, and in the same thought can go for Johansson. It's interesting. I would have liked Kevin McDonald to be involved in some way, or maybe even in coaching at this point, because I think he's a leader. That's a good shout. Seriously, I I hope he sticks around with Fulham and becomes part of Scott Parker's staff. That's my hope, but we'll see what happens. Okay, Max, let's now get our opening thoughts. I'm going to start with my opening thoughts, and I'll go to you on this match. And uh, I watched it back a couple of times. This is the beauty that you and I have here, that I can watch it back and forth on Peacock as many times as I want. Okay, and I've already said this about the pay-per-view, my thoughts on that. And I feel sorry for everyone in the UK that has to pay this, you know, and again, I, we, we already went through this, but the fact that I can watch this a few times and really get into it and appreciate what we watched is very important. And when I watched it initially, I was encouraged, but when I watched it back again, I was even more encouraged because what I saw from the first half, and we'll go through this, was basically weathering the storm. They just did not look like they were off to the races. And then again, you have to give a lot of credit to Sheffield United. But I kept saying to myself, Max, they're not taking advantage of their opportunities. This is actually a good sign for Fulham. If they can get the halftime, then things can change. And guess what? They changed. And I want to give Scott Parker a lot of credit. He's already said that he did tweak things at halftime. And you could tell in the second half. It was a different Fulham side. It was a tale of two halves. And it was so encouraging that they – Score the goal. You have the situation where 
you have the penalty for them, and uh, they equalize. But who looked more likely to score, Max? It was Fulham. Fulham were pushing to the very end. Fulham, I think, deserved all three points. It didn't work out that way. But what it is encouraging for me, Max, is that I'm a glass-half-full guy, and I took it from here to here because of how they reacted after halftime. They kept pushing for that goal, and that gave me encouragement moving forward. I'm talking about after being a 1-1 to get the winner. They weren't playing for a point. And if I'm a Sheffield United fan, I have to be disappointed because they gave Fulham their best shot in the first half. And it again, second half, I'm sorry, they, they were second best the entire time. So my thoughts on this is that coming out of this, I'm very encouraged partially because of the players that really stood up, like I said in my video. You're talking about Tosin. You're talking about uh, obviously, uh, uh, excuse me, Adam Lookman and of course, Ruben Loftus Cheek. So you have these players, and I'm very encouraged by what I saw. I came out of this feeling good. I, I know it's only a point, but I think it's a, a step in the right direction, Max. That's my opening thoughts. Now, time for Mad Max's <laughs> opening thoughts. I think you gave a really compelling argument to why we should be positive after this match, and I agree with a lot of it. I really do. It's just hard to look past the fact that it's two points dropped. And it's two points dropped against a team we should have beat and a match we should have won. And that's the hardest thing to swallow about this is, yes, okay. it was a great second-half performance, but you can't look past the missed penalty by Mitrovic. You can't look past the penalty giveaway by Mitrovic. There's the silly VAR kicking us in the back again. And you can't look past Mitrovic's missed headers. You know, it was a match in which we wrote a luck in the first half. And I was delighted by that because it's something we haven't seen really all season is us riding that storm. Right. One of my biggest critiques, I think the first couple matches of this season and something last time we were in the top flight, was that as soon as we felt any pressure, we wilted at the very first, you know, sign of any sort of adversity. We just conceded. So on that, by that token, that first half was a great improvement because we faced a lot of chances. And to be fair, if we're going up against a team with a better striker than McBurney, you know, better finishers than Sheffield United, we're probably two or three down. So we're fortunate, but I'll take that because it showed us building up that, that kind of stability. You know, we can take these chances, and we don't actually concede the first shot on target. So that was important. But again, I, when Lookman puts that goal in the back of the net, you're thinking it's our first one of the season. We're out of the bottom three, and just the emotional high of that great, superb individual goal. Yeah. Dude, only being ahead, only having the lead for eight minutes. Remember, that was our first lead all season in the Premier League. It only lasted eight minutes. Um, to then pushing for a winner, which, believe me, that's a great mentality by the team. That's Scott Parker's team right there. Yep. Heads didn't drop, and that gave me a lot of hope. But take a step back, Russ. People were saying this in the comments. We play Palace. We play West Brom. These are now must-wins, and we've been saying that in a while, but Legitimately, if we do not win either of those two matches, it's a very tough task. It's a relegation is staring us in the face. And that's why a draw in this match is so devastating. It's because it could have been a match we, we could have won. Sure. Now we just heap so much pressure on ourselves for the rest of the season is the issue here. Because now Sheffield okay. United could have had no points. We'd have three. We're both on one point. Opportunity missed. Okay. I can see where you're going on that because – if we look at it like glass half empty, I totally understand because as Mike has said this, Greg, many times, we're behind the eight ball. So getting three points is huge.
but they can quickly turn it around. And I can't agree with you more. Crystal Palace and West Brom coming up. Oh, if they get all six points, everything changes real quickly. If they don't, then we're really up against it. So I understand where you're going on this because this was an opportunity to take some pressure off. You really didn't. All you did is that you actually showed improvement and you could sh- and you showed what you are able to potentially do. And it's funny because um, I did an interview today that's actually going to be on Football Social Daily tomorrow, and they were ask- asking me if I thought Fulham were going to stay up. I said yes. And I gave my reasons basically being the additions because I could just tell from the last two matches what they could potentially do. But you know what? It's going to come down the results. And I see where you're going on that because in the end, even though I feel good about it, it's still about the result. It was only a point and not three points. And it, and that is disappointing. And we're going to talk about VAR coming up too because I know your your feelings on that. So we definitely will we'll get to that because VAR really um, kicked foam in the behind on this one. It definitely did. I saw some very strange VAR scenarios this weekend. It's funny because I really haven't been paying that much attention to it when we were in the championship. Now that we're back in the Premier League, I'm now seeing what everyone's complaining about. I, I really am because it's it's infuriating that it's been taken to such a level where if it's a little tweak, I think things are different with VAR, but they haven't tweaked it. It's still the same thing. It's it's so fine, and I think they need to make adjustments on that. But anyways, we'll we'll talk about VAR in a bit. But before we do that, let's talk about the starting 11. Your thoughts? Biggest surprise, I think, was Adarabayo slotted right in. Uh, yep. Not a lot of people expected that, but that was big. No Joe Bryan at all. Nope. Didn't miss him a massive amount, you could say. We didn't really notice he was gone, which surprised us again, considering how good Robinson and Bryan combined against Wolves. Yeah. But a good, great to see Loftus-Cheek in the midfield. And the one negative is Cavalero on the right wing. I yeah, would have gone with Kamara. Yeah, we want to talk, I want to talk about that, but go ahead. Yeah, I would have gone with Kamara. Some other people say Bobby Reed. But Cavalero was a weak link. And it's clear, you know, everyone's going to talk about that 4v2. We had the ball, and they're just two defenders, and he just could not pick out the cross. That was just the story of the day for him. So disappointing to see him in there. We'd like to see Kamara or Bobby Reed, or even Cabano, honestly. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Cavalero because, uh, again, I, I want to give credit to the guys on full mission, also full focus because they, they were talking about this. So I thought we can also talk about it as well. When you look at Cavalero, because I was looking at the situation with, well, why can't you play Joe Bryan and Anthony Robinson together? Because I thought that worked so well, Max. And it might actually come down to Lookman. Lookman might just be better on the left-hand side. So then you are trying to find – a solution on the right-hand side. If Lookman's on the left-hand side, then you can do what I think that you can do with Joe Bryan and Anthony Robinson. But if Scott Parker feels that he needs to be on the left-hand side, then you have to look for someone on the right. And honestly, Cavallaro just can't cut it. Can't cut it. Then what are you left with, Max? And I think this is becoming the weakest link. The weakest link is that position. So when I looked at it and I thought about it, I'm like, this is – the issue that they're going to have. Is it Kamara? Is it Bobby Reed? What do you do there? So again, what are your thoughts about this? And again, I want to give credit to the other podcasts because they were talking about this. This is really a problem for Fulham and for Scott Parker. He needs to figure this out. And I don't know if it's, 
I th- it might come down to that they feel that Lookman's better on the left. Max, what, what are your thoughts about all that? Yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with starting Lookman. He was our best player, I'd say. He's right. been in the match. I mean, he's the match winner almost for us. Um, so you can't switch that up. I say start Kamara. You know, we have given him the start in a couple of matches, and he wasn't as effective as we would have liked him to be. But if you look at the main thing we're looking for, it's delivery from out wide. And Kamara's been the player consistently over the past right. year. He's been our best cross of the ball, I'd argue. You know, what comes to mind most notably is the late goal Mitro scored against Swansea in February. Yep. Those kind of situations, Kamara can actually whip in a really dangerous service. So I'd start him. If you don't like starting him, that's okay. But maybe start Bobby Reed. Scored a goal against Cardiff. Sorry, against Leeds. An effective player. Not my favorite, but I th- still think he offers more composure than Cavalera for sure. But I think it's a good analysis that it's our weakest link. You know, we strengthened center back. We strengthened center mid. But right wing is still a worrying area. It is. Yeah. It is. And teams could take advantage of this. And I think that's also part of the problem. If you're a manager, you're going to look at that and you're like, well, how can I take advantage of Cavalera? And you're going to do it. And you're going to do it. And you're going to do it. And you're going to do it until Fulham fix it. So I think this is something that Scott Parker needs to look at. And that's why I'm glad that we're really getting into talking about the starting 11. All right, my friend, let's talk about this. For you, turning point of the match, where was it in this match? Because, again, there's certain points where you can look at. You could talk about coming out of halftime looking like a different side. You could talk about the miss from Mitra. You could talk about the goal from Lookman. Where was the turning point for you for, from a Fulham perspective? Not overall in the match, from a Fulham perspective. Where's the turning point? It's tough because I think there are multiple turning points, honestly. You know, us conceding or us missing the penalty. That could have been a turning point in which yeah. the heads drop and Mitra sulks some more, and we don't create more, but we pushed on after that. And then the goal could have been a turning point that led us to our first victory of the season. Yeah. But then, you know, we conceded the penalty just eight minutes later. So I don't think this is a match where you can just point to one moment and say that, that's when it changed because the second half featured so many intense moments. If I were to choose one, it might have been the string of saves that Ariola had in the first half. And we haven't mentioned him yet, but he was massive for us. And yeah. I think he's justifying why he took Rodak's place. It's, that's a world-class keeper right there. Again, I say this a lot, but he's what we expected Sergio Rico to be. You know, I'm mean, coming from PSG and the French national team. Ariola has the best credentials, I think, of any keeper we've had recently. Yep. And the saves he had from point-blank range on McBurney in that first half were just vital. So I think the fact that we kept it nil-nil at halftime, something I mentioned you know, in the previous show that we needed as a key to victory, was huge and allowed us to compete in that second half. So I have to say Ariola's really nice saves close range. Okay, and that's actually a good point. I'm going to go right to the, their penalty in the VAR situation because I know that's farther into the match. Fulham go up 1-0, and we're pushing for a second one, Max, okay? And that would have been infuriating. You know, it's funny because they had a corner, and say they scored off the corner, that would have been disallowed. Think about it. Tom Kearney came this close for making it 2-0. So Fulham were pushing for the second goal. So that, to me, is a turning point in this match, the fact that they had to deal with that and then overcome that and then push on from that point to get that second goal, which they never got. So for me, it's the decision by VAR. Technically, it's the right decision. But like we said, it's such fine margins to make this decision. And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It For me... The turning point of the match is the VAR decision, which gives Sheffield United the penalty. And um, I'll 
That's where I'm going to go on that. Okay, coming up next, Max and I are going to analyze the first half and the second half, and then we will talk about man of the match as well. Okay, Max, let's get into first half analysis. Let's get your thoughts on the first half. Like um, you and I have already been talking about, listen, Fulham had some good moments in in the beginning of the first half. I, I think we can say that. But then Sheffield United really took control of the match and had several opportunities. You've already talked about them. So when you look at the first half, give me your analysis overall from a Fulham perspective. And like I mentioned, it's the way I'm looking at it. My perspective is on this. They were kind of holding on. And like I mentioned earlier, get to halftime and adjust at that point. But I'm not going to lie by telling you I thought they played well because they did not play well. They played well enough to stay in the match, and they needed their goalkeeper basically to make some key saves to keep them even at the half. Your thoughts, your analysis. Yeah, it wasn't good enough in that first half, but the result was what we needed. You know, Keep it nil-nil. It's a strength when you're playing poorly to not concede. It's something yep. we haven't done in a while. So in that respect, that was a pleasing first half. Every other respect, very much lacking because it was honestly very simple what Sheffield United were doing. They had their wing backs. They're pushing up. The ball came out wide, and they put in a cross. Yep. But Robinson and Ina just weren't ready for it. I point fingers at their defending in that first half because it, was a, it wasn't anything special, honestly. It wasn't a great tactical move. It's pretty simple, but we kept getting beaten. And the center backs, well, Reem and Adarabayo, honestly gave a lot of free headers in there. So defensively, it wasn't great. But thank God for Areola because without him, oh. we could have honestly been two or three goals down. Absolutely. So we felt lucky to go in nil-nil is what I'd say. But on, on the other hand, there's no attacking output. I think Kearney's speculative long-range shot was the only shot Early we had. I can't think of anything else we produced of note. No. We had some corners, but nothing really came out of it. So – it wasn't vintage Fulham. It was honestly looked like a step back from the Wolves match where we created a, a little bit more. But right. nil-nil was what was important. And you go in the half nil-nil, you give yourself a shot winning the match. So I think in the grand scheme of things, looking at how poorly we started the season, when we'd be consistently going down one-nil within the first 10 minutes, this is an improvement because we're not conceding early. But in terms of defensive structure, needs improvement. But again, this is a lot of players debuts for Fulham, right? Yeah. They will get better. They will gel. They will learn how to play with other players. We'll become comfortable. Training sessions will kick in. Tactics will get drilled in. So for this to be the first match of our kind of new look team, it's very encouraging. Okay, excellent. All right. Let's now transition to the second half. And for me, when I look at it, like I said, I felt like they were a different team. I heard Scott Parker talk about this, that uh, he needed more pace or speed in the second half, and he got that. And you could really tell on the counter, Fulham could counter Max. You know, that, that was kind of exciting. They could really counter. And they were controlling the second half. And it, I, I think we have to start by going through our analysis to talk about the miss by Mitro on the penalty. Because, again, when I watched this back and, you know, it hits the crossbar, but he didn't look confident here. It definitely was a penalty. Let's start there. And I'm just watching this thinking, please, please, please score. Please score. And it just didn't go our way. So give me your thoughts on the Metro miss. And um, I'm just going to step away. I'm actually going to try to try to uh, change the lighting 
situation here. So um, I'm going to leave it up to you, my friend. I'll be right back. <laughs> Thanks, Ross. Yeah. I agree with you. He didn't look like he was going to score. And that was one of the most depressing things is because Mitrovic is such a confidence player. Someone who every time he steps up the penalty spot, usually back him. But he was looking around. He was kind of adjusting his body. Some people said he changed his mind at the last minute. It was so on Mitrovic-like. He's the one player, I think, in this team who just oozes confidence most of the time. Right. And it was just, it was shocking because I had a feeling too. It looked like he looks nervous. He might not miss it. He might not, might not make this. And lo and behold, he missed it. But it was such a gift in the first place. Came out of nothing. Corner. You know, defender just throws his hand in the air. Very lucky. Reminded me a lot of Leeds match, actually. Yeah. When we got a penalty kind of out of nothing. In that match, we took the opportunity. This match, we didn't. And that has such an ability to get in the player's head, even a player as confident as Mitrovic. And I think it showed for the rest of the match. Okay. All right. Very good there, my friend. All right. Let's move forward because we have to talk about this. Okay. Fantastic goal, Max. I mean, when you look at this, it's funny because it's all one-on-one. -on -one. And he did get fortunate when the ball does come to him. But this is the finish. This is the reason why I think Scott Parker wanted this player so badly. Because I've heard he really – this is a target for him. He wanted Lookman. And this, to me, is showing all of us that he's the player that can unlock a defense that we've been looking for for the longest period of time. Adamola Lookman can do this all on his own. I think he – again, if you watch him later on, nice cross in the box to Mitro. So it's not just about him going one-on-one -on -one like Knockhart would go. This is a different level. This is a just a different grade, okay? Let's talk about the goal because when you watch this back, ask yourself, when's the last time you've seen a goal like that? Would we go all the way back to Berbatov? <laughs> I'm serious. I would, I would go back to actually Sassinone at the very same end uh, three or four years ago. Okay. That, that same kind of notion when you have a left that's one. Actually, that's actually a players. good one. You're right. Yeah, but it's it's so true. It's what we've been crying out for for years. And it's why we've been hyping up Lookman on this podcast for the past two or three weeks. <laughs> we have been. He has this in him, and it's just so exhilarating to see a player stick with it, beat men one-on-one, -on -one, and the finish was so good. And yep. the finish was just top class because so often we have players, and I think of Bobby Reed, who might beat one or two people but get in the final position and can't score. But Lookman just absolutely rifled it. That's confidence right there. I did see actually some critiques on Twitter which said the reason Lookman had to do this all on his own is because there was no movement at all in the box, which is one way to look at it. I think that's true. Yeah. The good thing about Lookman is he can take this Fulham attack, which is often so static when we're in possession, and give it that extra burst. And that's exactly what he did. Um, I was just so happy for him. And the first time we had the lead all season, what a great moment that was, Ross. I thought we were going to see it through, a way win, something that's a lot different. But, you know, the, the football gods did not have it in it for us today. No, but, but before we move on and we talk about what happens next, okay, Let's go back and talk about Lookman because, again, when we're analyzing this, I, I just brought this up, Max. When you look at his play, yes, we're going to focus on the one-on-one -on -one play that, that led to the goal, right? But I also talked about the cross to Mitro. And it looks like to me he is trying to get his teammates involved. He's not a, just a one-on-one -on -one player. Like I said, if, if, if you look at a player like Cavallaro or Knockhart, that's not this guy. This guy looks like to me like a team player, but – he also looks ruthless, and we need someone that's ruthless. When's the last time you saw a foam player attack like that? Like you said, what, Ryan Session? It's actually a, a good comparison because I don't remember the last time we had someone that actually did that. Like I said, I'm going all the way back to Berbatov. Yeah. But 
that to me is what's encouraging. And I don't think this is a selfish player. I think this is a confidence player. You know, I think this is someone that believes in his ability and was doing it for the team. I don't think he was doing it for himself. I think he was doing it for Fulham Max. Yeah. I, I haven't seen everyone suggesting uh, the selfishness part, which is good, but he just, he just, and the best thing was, it wasn't so simple. You know, he had to, got a lucky bounce, but he kept going. Some players, when there's a foot in, they just kind of give up on the tackle, but he kept moving, kept attacking the ball, and it paid off. So that's what you also like to see in a winger is when they face adversity and the defender pokes out a foot, they're stronger to get that bounce, get that ricochet, make their own luck happen. That's what I liked about it as well. Okay, excellent there, Max. All right, I've been trying to avoid going here, but we're going to go there. We have to talk about the goal from Sheffield United. So let's let's go there right now, okay? VAR, VAR gives Sheffield United a penalty. Now, what's infuriating about this, and welcome to the Premier League forum, right? Dealing with VAR is the way things were going. Now, in real time, and I've heard commentary about this, Max, in real time, do you think a ref is going to make that call? Because it's so difficult to make. So that's why VAR, VAR gets involved, VAR gets involved. So the play goes on. We actually have a great opportunity from Tom Kearney, and they're about to take a corner, and then, of course, VAR steps in, and they get the penalty. Now, let me just ask you, when you watch this back, was this the right call? It's tough. You have to look at it from two ways. When they slowed it down to whatever, half speed, quarter speed, you know, five minutes after the fact, yes, it looked like a foul. It looked like the Sheffield United player kicked it up in the air and Mitrich kicks him in the back of the leg. And that's a foul. You know, it's a late tackle, textbook, the ball's gone, didn't get the ball, it's a foul. But as you mentioned, in real time, of course it wasn't a foul because Andre Mariner didn't give it the penalty, you know? In real time, no one sees that. The ball's traveling, no one's looking at Mitrich, the play yeah. moved on. It's the nature of R is that it will do these things. It will bring back the play. It will overanalyze. It will take instances that wouldn't be fouls and make them to fouls just based on that replay. I know. I think it's taking it to a different level that I don't know if it was intended, Max. We're talking about VAR. And I've seen this in other spot sports over here. Hockey, the same thing. I think it gets to the point of when they look at offside, it, it becomes ridiculous. And I think that if you're going to use the technology – don't take it to the umph degree. I, I know I've always said get it right, but I think that they're taking it too far. And I'm just going to share share this from, from um, oh, I'm sorry, um, Robin Pender, definitely not. Both legs were high. Here's another comment from Colton Wright. Never, ever a penalty in the championship. And that's true, Max. That's not a penalty in the championship. Yeah. And this is all about VAR. Yeah. Uh, the thing is about the VAR is that theoretically it evens itself out. And it's not just Fulham. Yeah. Every team in the league has it. So the reasoning is you might get more things right and it might make some fans upset, but at the end of the day, every team has the same technology. And <laughs> so that's what I like to hope. I don't want to, you know, crap on VAR too much. Sure. Currently. But I remember a lot of people joked around and said, Mitrich in the in the Premier League with VAR gonna be arrested for disaster. <laughs> He's already cost the penalty, and if you remember against Villa, he pushed a center back and that ruled out Bobby Reed's goal. So yep. a, lot, a lot of funny instances here. A lot of things of Mitrovic not really 
he has to know the camera's on at all times, can't get away with things like winning the championship, has to adjust his play. But it was it was just so against the run of play as well. And theoretically, and sorry, literally it was against the run of play because we were having a corner there than the pitch. But I, I can't complain with the actual implementation of the rules. But I guess you can't argue with the theory of VAR in of itself, which I think is right. probably valid, that it's being too strict and going past its mandate. But you give it a mandate, it's going to call all the fouls. You can't like have half VAR. That's the thing. You can't go halfway with this. I know, but I think that there's ways that they can tweak this just a little bit. Because, again, I, I was watching a match. I can't remember who it was. And there's no way it looked like it was offside to me. And they call the situation offside. It, like, to the naked eye, there was no way. But they looked out at VAR, and it was offside. You know, and, and again, it's just getting to the point of, I think, just taking things a little bit too far. Okay, my friend. So we have that. But let's talk about the end of the match. And Mitro had some incredible chances to score here. I already talked about the uh, cross from um, from Adamola Lookman, but you had another opportunity as well. And it just wasn't his day. just wasn't his day. But this is what encourages me. And I know we're talking about it's only a point. But they were creating opportunities. And Sheffield United were the home side. I know that there are no fans there. But if you're a, t- a fan of their team, what are you thinking at the end of this match, Max, compared to Fulham? Because Fulham looked like the team more likely to score. This, to me, is encouraging that we can take moving forward against Crystal Palace and West Brom. The players can look at this and say, you know what? This wasn't our day, but we know we can push forward against teams that we should be taking care of home or away. Your thoughts on the chances, even though they didn't go in, I find them very encouraging. Yeah, show me this team has fight. It's not going to sell it for a point away at Sheffield United, just as the supporters don't really want to sell it for it either. They knew they had to get the three points, um, and they didn't give up. So many times over the past couple of years or so, I think we've seen Fulham maybe settle for that draw. But we didn't want to settle uh, on Sunday, and, and it showed. The frustrating thing is I know we can talk about performances. And on one hand, what, we're five matches in the season, and there's an argument that performances will improve and then results will come. But as the Mike Gregg argument goes, which I'm beginning to subscribe to, is that we're already behind the pace. Even though it's early, we're already behind the pace of what it takes to be the fourth worst team in the league, right? And sure. that's all we need. So we just give, we just make it hard on ourselves. We have to demand more from fewer games as long as the season goes on. And this although I love, this, I love this fighting spirit, it didn't result in a win. And there wasn't a finishing touch there. And that has to give me pause. But... I'd like to say if we play this way, as we did in the second half against West Brom and Palace, we'll get the win. Right. Because that was a team who was hungry and showed itself in the Premier League. They could challenge a team and take them toe-to-toe. And just remember, after the Brentford match, I was saying, everyone was saying, we're a laughingstock. After the Villa match, we're saying, this team isn't even fit to play in the league. There was no fight. Remember that? We were heads down after 60 minutes. Match was over. So I just think in those last two matches, Wolves and Sheffield United, We've seen great signs from a team that was bereft of confidence with teams. Right, you're making my point, fighting. Max. You're no, totally I, agree, I agree with your point. I think on one hand, it's so positive, and we can talk about this revitalization all we want, which I love to do. On the other hand, we're bottom of the league, Russ. And that's and that's a fact, and that's not changing anytime soon unless we start sure. winning matches. We are, we are dead last in the Premier League. We need that reality in this situation. 
That's the reality. You're right. 20th out of 20 size. No, listen, you are right about that. That's the reality. But if we switch and we look at Fulham's team two seasons ago compared to this team at the same point, did you see a team that could really survive after five matches? I don't. Well, no, that's what I'm going to dispute with you pretty strongly. We had the Burnley match. We had the 4-2 win at home. We did. And we had the Brighton match away where we actually. That's when things went down. That's that's when things went down. And there was a bit more. There was a bit more, I'd say. Bit more, but not okay, much. okay, but the Brighton match actually to me was the worst moment of the season because that showed me that they, whenever they would make a mistake, they were going to give up a goal, and they were so they could not handle it. And I've seen the uh, the other side of this so far against Wolves and now against Sheffield United that maybe they're going to be harder to score against, and I think that's a huge difference. So I I don't know. You know me, I'm a glass half full. I'm going to go there. You know, I, I have to go there. Okay, so so Max, so before we get to talking about man of the match, I just want to talk about Lookman. We already talked about him, but I want to talk about Tosin a little bit because I want to get your thoughts on his performance because I think we should highlight it. And we already did a little bit. I think this is significant. If we're going to talk about Someone like Lookman and Ariola too, because and I want to talk about him as well. Okay, but I want to talk about Tosin because I think this is very important. Without Anderson, with the situation, Michael Hector not even being involved, we haven't even talked about that. Not even involved. They needed someone to step up as a center back. This guy stepped up. So let's talk about Tosin Adarabaya. He had that kind of impact that Michael Hector had. When he first came to the side last year. That's right. That's a good point. In terms of someone who just brought calmness to that back four. And what was really actually Hector like was the way he strode out of the back four and stole the ball from players and would just kind of recognize the danger early and step in, step up. And the passing, this is obviously a player who we've seen come up in Pep Guardiola's academy. You know, he can pass, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. Sometimes when I see Hector in green play, it's like a disaster waiting to happen. You know, they're not comfortable, each touch is a little too long. But Adarabaya looked very assured in his Premier League debut, which is something we have to mention, is that he's never played in the top flight before. He's not a top flight team, but this is his introduction to the big leagues. And I thought he was very good. And there are some things I want to critique him about, which is mainly the marking. Sure. The crosses came in from wide. I think McBurney got way too many free headers. But second half, I think he shepherded the United back line, the United attack very well. Absolutely. And it seems like he can be a player who will be a nailed-on starter for us, which is almost a bonus because none of us in the podcast thought he would slot in the first match, let alone be a starter. Okay. Excellent there, Max. Before I forget this, I, I want to share this comment because I also want to talk about Ariel. But before we do this, it's just very interesting to talk about. So I, I know we're going off of script just a little bit, but I think it's important to do this. So I'm going to share this. Actually, if I can find the topic from this person. Let's talk about this, Max. This is for me and you. And I think this is something that we should talk about because it's fascinating. I do have one question for Russ and Max. Do you guys think Harrison Reed slots back into the 11 when he comes back? Max, what do they do with Harrison Reed? This is a great question. Where does he go and who would come out if Harrison Reed comes in? Wonderful question from Edward Severn. Yeah, it's something I was actually talking about today. Um, with my dad when I talked about Fulham, it's tough, you know. And Gisa, we haven't mentioned a lot, but I thought he played excellent. 
He was kind of a one-man battering ram starting exactly. counter attack. He's going to play. He's undroppable for me. Loftus Cheek we just brought in. High hopes. It's either Loftus Cheek or Kennedy who comes out, right? And I see Harrison Reed as more of a deep-lying, combative midfielder who isn't as creative or as good going forward. I can't see him slotting back in. I think that midfield three of Angisa, Loftus Cheek, and Kennedy worked very well. And I saw a lot more from Kennedy than I've seen all season in terms of fighting to win the ball back, but also getting forward. See, I like this three, but I also like what Harrison Reed can bring. I think he has qualities that they also need out there. So who do you drop? It's a wonderful question. And Edward actually is asking us that. Who do you drop, Max? My answer is I don't drop anybody. I think we signed Harrison Reed permanently, and I know he's a good player, but he's been out of the side when we've actually played a lot better in the last two matches. So You can't I mean, drop Kearney. You, it's funny. I don't know yeah. if you can drop any three of them right now. That's the problem here. Well, Kearney's most droppable, I would say, because he's been inconsistent, yep. but I would not drop him. I mean, certainly for the next match against Palace, yep. I say I start the same starting 11 that played against Sheffield United. I'm there with you. Um, yeah. I'm, it's just an interesting conundrum because I think he has a role, and I think he could really help us, but – who goes out yeah. and that's a problem right now. You know, I, I guess you could say it's a good problem to have Max, but let's, and let's not forget Lamina as well. I'm not pushing Mario Lamina. Actually a good, I think a good cameo. I thought, he, I thought he, in a cameo, I thought he played very well. So the, these are problems. Are they good problems, Max? I mean, it's a great problem. And this connects back to what we started the show with, which is, well, gee, I wonder why the four players that didn't make the squad are all center mids, right? Because Sarah right. didn't get anywhere near this conversation. It's great. So it's Hansen great point. doesn't. K-Mac doesn't. And it makes That's sense right. for those four players. If we can't even get Harrison Reed in the starting 11, why would you think McDonald or Johansson or Sarah? No, there was no team? way. There was right. no way. And I'm glad that you brought up Mario Lamina because, again, very short appearance. But I don't think Fulham, you know, dropped off at all when he came on. No, I thought he was quite good. And – I would like to see him given a start at some point, not saying it should be next couple matches because no. I haven't seen enough from him, but he looks a player who has that burst, you know, when he's defending or attacking, he has that yep. acceleration, which I think this team is honestly missing a lot of, a lot, a lot of kind of slow languid players. Uh, so I do like Lamina and his dribbling skills also are very impressive. So would like to, as an impact sub, I think he's probably best at the moment though. Okay. And I think he could be a very good impact sub. Okay. Before we go to the man of the match, let's talk about Ariel. And um, listen, I know how you feel about Marcus Benelli, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> He's no longer with Fulham right he now. Made, I think he kept a clean sheet with uh, Burley this weekend, according okay. to Okay, okay. <laughs> but that's just a joke. Anyone that, <laughs> that has watched or listened to the show knows how Max loves Marcus Benelli. And Marek Rodak has done a good job, and this is, might be a little bit harsh on him not getting an opportunity to play. I'm sorry. Alphonse Ariel is a step up. Okay, and he steps up in this match. He's your starting goalkeeper, Max, and I can't see how Marek Rodak gets in there. Agreed. However, let's just rewind back to the penalty, and it was Ariel's draw that did lead to the not. I mean, of course, I was waxing lyrical about him early yep. on. I'm not saying it was poor performance, but just as to show in football in the Premier League, you can have a great match as a keeper, and one incident, if he catches that ball, it's a different story. But all things considered, he was excellent. He makes those saves from close range look very easy, which is a really hard thing to do. Yep. And, you know, he didn't have the best game against Leeds. People were kind of pointing fingers at him second yep. game of the season, but I think he's recovered very well. And he's teaching Rodak some tough lessons that you're in the top flight and no one's guaranteed a place no matter what you did last season. 
Okay, excellent there, my friend. All right, let's end with getting your man of the match. I already said my man of the match was Adam Ollickman, but I think that there are some very good candidates here. We've already talked about him during the show. It could be Wookman. It could be Ariola. Maybe Adarabayo. Maybe Angisa. Maybe Kearney. There's some really good performances here. Max, who's your man of the match? Mine's Luckman. Yeah, Luckman for me too. But I think I'll talk about Angisa for a second because he's a very honorable mention. Yes. I'm never his biggest fan. I think sometimes in the Premier League, he's just too casual with the ball in his own half. But I think in this match, he showed exactly what he can do in the counterattack. There's one instance when he had the ball and was the only man in the attack, created an opportunity, had a shot block, chased it down, forced a corner. And that, to me, sums up what Angisa can do. You set him loose, and this guy is an absolute beast and can create, can defend, does it all for me. Uh, and having him in midfield is such an asset. So Lookman is my man of the match just purely because of that burst of flair, which just brought the quality up so much. But I will want to give credit to Angisa because he's proved me wrong this season, and I think he might be the first name in the team sheet right now. Okay, excellent there, my friend. All right. Before we wrap this up, just, again, give me your thoughts as we look forward to the Crystal Palace match. I know how you feel, and I'm there with you. And uh, if I was talking to my friend Steve Lidyard, you know, he'd be saying it's uh, three points. They, they need three points. Well, I totally agree with this. But let me just gauge your thoughts going into this match. Let's just talk about it briefly. Here are my concerns about this match, Max. And it starts with one name, one person, Roy Hodgson. Okay? (laughs) And this is not a small situation. Roy Hodgson will have this team prepared. They're going to be difficult to beat, and they will take advantage of a mistake by foam. We saw that two seasons ago. I respect Hodgson and know that his team will be ready to go. They won't lose it. Fulham have to win it, Max. So the Hudson factor, I think, is huge. And Parker has to be really concerned about his team because they, they can't play with fear, but they also, again, if they make a mistake, this team will punish them. So thoughts on what I'm calling the Hudson factor. I would have agreed with you, but I'm seeing a lot of stuff from Palace fans that are very disappointed with him. Um, and actually, my Palace supporting friend so actually tweeted that, you know, Hodgson out after the Brighton match. Not sure wow. if it was or not, but I think there are a lot of Palace fans who are very unhappy with the way things are going. And I remember reading a stat, which in their draw against Brighton, they only had you know, two or three shots on target the entire okay. match. So, yes, they'll be well drilled. I think a big concern for Palace supporters is they're just not creating barely anything right now. Um, and they're not in the best run of form after a good start. So on one hand, you know, we always know what Hodgson can do. The Fulham fans know better than anyone else. I think that's what I'm going on this. On the hand, I, I think they're vulnerable. I think they're there for the taking. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. And gives me a little bit of optimism. Okay. Excellent. Great stuff there, Max. Before we wrap this up again, I, I want to thank everyone for watching with us live and, and everyone that listens and watches the show. It means a great deal to me. Max has been fantastic. Max, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And uh, as I mentioned uh, on my video, um, we will be doing Cottage Talk full-time. My schedule has been difficult, so I just haven't been able to do it. But we will be doing a full-time show. I miss doing that show. I just haven't had a chance to do it. I do want to announce that 
hopefully this week, if everything goes to plan, we will have a special guest on Cottage Talk. And I told Max who it is. I'm going to share who is scheduled to come on the show. And that's Ivan Berry. Ivan Berry has told me he's going to come on the show. So hopefully we will have that in interview with Ivan very soon. Um, I'm going back and forth with him, but I cannot wait to get Ivan Berry on this show. And we're going to profile Ivan. Uh, I've told him what we want to do because I want to learn about Ivan and Fulham. And, but we'll also talk about Fulham now as well. So what are your thoughts about Ivan? You know, and, and again, Ivan is someone that I respect a great deal. You know, following a legend is not an easy thing, Max. Yeah, certainly. And when he came in after uh, and to be the official announcer on match day, big boots to fill for sure. But he filled, I think he filled them excellently. And he's always one of my favorite follows on Fulham Twitter. He runs a great show on Fulham yeah. FC TV. He's just a really engaging media presence. Um, and it'll be a joy to have him on. So I'm, I'm jealous to get out, interview him, but I'll be listening in very intently. And I think he's just a great ambassador for the He club. is. He is. And uh, the fact that he wants to come on, I, I think, is great. And uh, I look forward to having Ivan Berry on the show. Listen, we've had on... Gentlemen, Jim, we've had Jamie on, and um, it makes sense to have Ivan on. So I cannot wait to get Ivan on Cottage Talk making his debut. And knock on wood, hopefully it will happen by the end of the week. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Cottage Talk. For my co-host, Max Cohen, I'm Russ Cohen. Thank you as always for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van, unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.